Psalm 95, let's begin reading at verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, to hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, and I pray especially for our sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will send the Holy Spirit after them. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray these things today in the only name that matters, that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, would you just one more time sing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name. Come on, sing. Forevermore, for endless days, we will sing Your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord our God. Come on, lift your hand and sing. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing Your praise, oh Lord. Doesn't that feel good? Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Those of you who were part of the service last Sunday will remember that I only preached the first point of the message. All this week, I've debated about whether or not to try and preach the other two points or if I should just move on to something else. But every time I tried to get away from it, I just felt the Holy Spirit drawing me back to this text. So I know that if I try to start at the beginning again, we'll never get through the entire message. 
So I'm just going to encourage you to listen to the recording of last week's message in order to get the introductory parts of this psalm and the word from the Lord that is contained in the first five verses. I simply take a moment to remind you from last week that this psalm is one of the didactic psalms. That means it's a teaching psalm. It's written to teach something, and in this case, something about worship. This psalm gives instruction about the feelings and the emotions associated with worship. It gives instruction about the proper balance that should be present in times of worship. Psalm 95, I told you, is a summons. It's a call to worship. You find it in verse 1 when it says, Oh, come. And in verse 2, let us come. And again in verse 6, come. This summons is both a command and an invitation to have an audience with the one who is the king of all the earth. One of the crucial points to remember is that worship isn't about you. It's about God. Worship isn't about what pleases you. It's about what pleases God. Worship isn't about how you want to worship. It's about how God wants to be worshiped. This psalm begins with the call to worship by saying that it is a call to rejoice in the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't want to get bogged down here again, but in the midst of the trouble and the heartache and the conflict and the evil that is in this world right now, there are some words of an old hymn that continue to resonate in my spirit. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Don't ever lose sight of that truth. Regardless of how it seems, God is still sovereign. He still rules and reigns over this earth. He still sits with the heavens as his throne and the earth as his footstool. He has not surrendered his scepter of authority to another. Age has not dimmed his eye, nor dulled his hearing, nor weakened his hand. When everything is said and done, I want to tell you the final outcome. The final outcome of the whole matter is Revelation 11 and 15. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and forever. I told you last week that the promise of God is that everything will turn out all right in the end. So if everything isn't all right, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't despair. Everything will turn out all right in the end. And if everything isn't all right, it just means that it isn't the end. Hallelujah. Well, I'd really like to camp here a little bit longer, but if I do, I won't ever get to the other two points of this message, so let me move on. Not only is this call to worship a call to rejoice in the sovereignty of God, but then it's also a call to reverence of God as shepherd. In verses 6 and 7, the psalmist sings, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
The first five verses of the psalm are a summons to rejoice when you recognize the sovereignty of God in his creation. Now the summons is to reverence as you recognize God as the shepherd of his people. That word reverence means to honor. It means to respect. It means to show deference, to submit to the wishes of another. In the book of Romans, chapter 9, the Apostle Paul asks some rhetorical questions. In verses 20 and 21, he says, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? And the answer is, of course he does. He's the potter. He can do whatever he wants to with the clay. It is the potter potter who decides the form of the clay. It is the potter who determines how the vessel will be fashioned and then how it will function. But too often, what happens is we get these human clay pots talking back to the great potter who made them, resisting the pressure of his hand and the hand of his spirit on your life, insisting on being the kind of vessel you want to be rather than the one he designed you to be, insisting on functioning the way you desire rather than the way he called and created you. See, the psalmist says, come, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, reverence him, submit to his wishes. See, somebody needs to be reminded that every blessing you enjoy, every benefit you receive, even your very existence, it all comes from the gracious hand of the Lord, your maker. Because of his blessings, you have shoes on your feet. Because of his blessings, you have clothes on your body. Because of his blessings, you have food on your table. Because of his blessings, you have a roof over your head. It is his grace that woke you up in your right mind this morning. Every beat of your heart is possible because of the grace of God. Every breath you breathe is because of the grace of God. Every move you make is because of the grace of God. His grace ought to cause you to fall on your face in humble reverence and worship. And as if that weren't enough, the relationship you have with God is unique among all creation. You think about it for a moment. The great God of the universe, the one that is described in this psalm in in verse 3 as a great God and a great king above all gods. The one who is described in this psalm in verses 4 and 5 with the words, in whose hands are the depth of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. See, the God who spoke and created everything that exists from nothing by the word of his power. The God who is from everlasting to everlasting, unchangeable, almighty God. This God, this great God is your God. 
you are his people, the flock of his pasture under his watchful eye and protecting hand. (laughs) The Lord is the shepherd. That means he's watching over you. That means he's protecting you. That means he's providing for you. That means he's guarding you. That means he's guiding you. That means he's shielding you. That means he's seeing to all the details of your life. That's this shepherd that you have watching out for you right now. I wish somebody would grab a hold of that and understand that you're the sheep in the hand in the pasture of the Lord today. And if you'll stop and think about it for just a moment, you'll realize that you already know what it means for the Lord to be your shepherd. You really do. Because you know what David sang in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. I feel like I'm talking to somebody that needs your soul restored this morning. Well, the shepherd is right there. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And watch this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you are struggling right now. And I want you to know the Lord is with you. Some of you are hurting. The Lord is with you. Some of you can't see any future. The Lord is with you. Some of you are grieving. The Lord is with you. Some of you are fearful. The Lord is with you. Some of you don't know which way to turn. The Lord, your shepherd, is with you. No matter how deep the valley, the Lord is with you. No matter how dark the night, the Lord is with you. No matter how rough the path, the Lord is with you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He rescued you. He redeemed you. He forgave you. He pardoned you. He holds you in his hand as a shepherd might cradle a lamb. He's your God. You're his child. You're the sheep of his pasture. He's your loving, ever watchful, protecting, providing, caring shepherd. Right right now, goodness and mercy are chasing you. Everywhere you turn, God's favor is upon you. Reverently bow in humble adoration before him. I wish somebody would help me shout for just a moment. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. This psalm issues a call to rejoice in the sovereignty of God. It calls you to reverence of God as your shepherd. Finally, I want you to see that this call to worship is a call to respond in submission to God. There's a danger of becoming so accustomed to hearing the word of the Lord that you become callous to the word. It's possible to become so comfortable in handling the holy that you lose the sense of reverence 
and awe for it. If you don't consciously guard against it, you can get yourself to the point where the word has to be presented in a certain fashion for you to be able to receive it. And if the messenger of the word doesn't look just like you think he or she ought to look, or if the grammar isn't correct, or if the speech isn't polished, or if the mannerisms don't fit into your idea of the proper mold for ministry, then you reject the word that is spoken. You harden your heart against the messenger and in the process harden your heart against the message. That's what happened to Israel. The reference here, I don't know if you paid attention when you were reading it. It, it, it almost seems like it's, what does this have to do with anything when it, when it talks in Psalm 95 about Meribah and Masa, that reference? Well, those were occasions, when you read the history of Israel, those were occasions when Israel hardened her heart. See, they got tired. They got tired of the constant packing up and moving from one campsite to the next. And they grumbled against the leadership of Moses. They, they resented the stuttering old man God had placed over them. They didn't like the way he looked. They didn't like the way he spoke. They didn't like his background. They didn't like his lifestyle. They didn't like his wife. Do you remember reading that? Israel hardened their hearts against God's messenger and they found themselves cut off from the great blessing God had desired to give them see at Meribah and Massa Israel wasn't just resisting Moses because Moses was God's appointed leader following God's direction when they resisted Moses they were actually resisting the Lord the Bible says it this way, they tested the Lord. They challenged his right to rule over them. They were determined to do what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. They were convinced, you know what, I don't really need to be part of the worship experience. I can just serve God my way. I can do it however I want to do it. You know, I can go over here and I can partake of anything I want to partake. I can live any old way I want to live and God's grace is going to cover it. And he understands that I'm just human and it'll be all right. Verse 9 is particularly poignant in this psalm when it says, When your fathers tested me, they tried me, watch these words, though they had seen my work. Don't miss that. They saw the mighty hand of God as he brought deliverance to get them out of Egypt, but they refused to trust him with their day-to-day -day existence. They were willing to follow him out of Egypt, but not into Canaan. 
They were thankful when, they came th- when he came through in a pinch for them, but they always grumbled when the next trial came instead of looking to him in trust. And I want to tell you, this wasn't just Israel's problem. This is the same danger you face today. You hear what God says, you understand what he desires, but you reject his plan and you go contrary to his way because you're willing to trust him with your eternal salvation, but not with your everyday survival. I'm going to trust you, God, to keep me out of hell, but I just want to enjoy life the way I want to enjoy it right now. And I'm not going to think too much about it until I get really in trouble and I really get desperate. And then I'm going to turn to you. And and by the way, when I call on you, I expect you to be there. That was Israel. I'm going to serve whatever I want to serve. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But God, when the enemy comes against me, I want to cry to you and have you come and deliver me. I'm not mad at you this morning. I know I'm preaching intensely, right? I'm not mad, but I'm desperate for people to live in a manner that keeps you in a right relationship with the Lord. Because hell is hot, and it's real, and I don't want anybody to go there. And the only way you're going to get out of that is when you put your total trust and faith in Jesus and the completed work of Jesus on the cross. I've never understood why it is that you think you can do a better job of running your life than God. You reject his plan for your home and your relationships. You reject his way in your profession and calling. You reject his will in the ordering of your priorities. And then you wonder, well, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Why don't I feel good about coming into his presence? Well, the answer is you're not going to feel good coming into his presence when you're disobedient to his word and his will. God never gives his will as a suggestion. He doesn't speak his word as one option among many. It isn't given for your consideration. He reveals his will and he expects from you one response and one response only. Obedience. Disobedience will keep you from experiencing the joy of his presence. I want to tell you, all the joyful expressions of singing and clapping and shouting must have obedience and submission to the will of God as their foundation, or they are nothing but empty emotionalism. You can sing with all your heart, come before him with reverent awe, and even listen to him as he speaks to you, but without an obedient response to him, you haven't worshiped. call of the Lord is a call to worship. So as I bring the message to a close, I just want to ask you, are you obediently answering his call? Or is there an area where you have hardened your heart? Is there an area 
where you are walking in disobedience? Is there a place where you have become callous and indifferent? I want to invite you to allow the Spirit of the Lord to touch you once again. Don't resist the voice of the Spirit of God as he nudges you and gently leads you in the way that is best for your life. See, the danger of hardening your heart to the word of the Lord is the last verse of this psalm, verse 11. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. The writer in Hebrews chapter 4 picks up on this idea. He quotes from Psalm 95, and then he says in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I want to tell you, it is through obedience that you enter the rest God has prepared for you. So I implore you today, don't dismiss the warning. Don't resist the voice of the Lord as he calls to you. Turn to him in repentance and obedience and enter the rest of the Lord. Bow with me, please. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now. Reveal any place that we have resisted your work in our lives. Give us the courage to surrender that right now. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help us to submit ourselves in humility before you so that we can enter into the rest that you've prepared for us. Lord, it is in that obedience, it is in that surrender, it is in that submission that we are able to experience a sense of your presence and your peace and your rest and your calm, even when life is chaotic. Help us today, I pray. In the quietness of this moment, we turn to you. We don't need a sign. We don't need a feeling. We just simply make a decision. Today, we will hear your voice and will surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.